Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy, but sometimes that makes you do crazy things. And sometimes that means murder. Just because a story starts out with Once Upon a Time doesn't mean it ends happily ever after. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are true crime producers Jeff Shane, Tim Hamilton, and Lisa DiGiovine. Episode 30, The Case of the Bikini Model, The Reality Star, and The Gray Suitcase. 28-year-old Jasmine Fiore was an attractive blonde who made a good living as a model. She was smart, ambitious, and goal-driven. Jasmine lived in Los Angeles and worked in Las Vegas. She was a small-town girl from Northern California, and she had big dreams. On March 16, 2009, Jasmine was in a casino on the Strip when she met Ryan Jenkins. It was literally love at first sight. Ryan was a charismatic reality star when he made a name for himself when he was cast on the VH1 dating show, Megan Wants a Millionaire. 32-year-old Ryan was described on the show as, quote, a smooth operator, and according to the show's producers, he was worth a cool $2.5 million. Ryan was one of the contestants vying for the love of the blonde beauty, Megan Hauserman. When Megan didn't choose him, the overly confident Ryan was shocked. At that point, he went to Vegas to lick his wounds and flaunt his newly minted celebrity status. Jasmine immediately caught his eye, and within just two days of meeting, the couple tied the knot at the Las Vegas Little White Chapel on the Strip. Here's Jeff. Jasmine Fiore grew up outside of Santa Cruz, California, in a town called Bonnie Dune. It's a very small town with a population of just above 3,000 people. There's a few wineries, but no city center or anything like that. And she came from a divorced family. Her parents broke up when she was eight, and she was raised by her single mom, Lisa. Described as a great kid who was lots of fun and always had her own agenda, her nickname growing up was General Jasmine. Jasmine was kind of a tomboy who loved nature and horses. She also had a really strong work ethic, clocking it at a local grocery store after school. She was even so driven that at 16, she opened up her own retirement account. Tim, what can you tell us about Jasmine as she got older? Well, it didn't surprise me at such a young age she opened up a retirement account because she's always been really business-oriented and always trying to put back into herself what she wants from life. So she wanted to be a model. So early in her modeling career, she invested in herself and got breast implants. And it did help her get jobs. 
In 2006, she moved from LA to Las Vegas and worked as a car dealer, bikini model, and body paint model. She made casino appearances and appeared in commercials. She modeled for Playboy. She often worked their golfing events. And her former manager, Ken Henderson, described her lovingly as he said, Jasmine was energy when she walked in the door. Every picture that you see with her, with that big smile, that was her. And you could just feel it. It was real. It wasn't phony. It was who she was, unquote. Jasmine didn't feel defined by the blonde stereotype that many blondes feel weighs them down. Uh, she had ambition and she had obtained a real estate license and she wanted to open a gym. She also planned to start a body care and clothing line. People who knew her described her as a wholesome, fun-loving, vibrant, and she would often surprise people with gifts because that was her heart. She was a really sweet, wonderful, kind person. According to her friends, every man who Jasmine met would instantly fall in love with her. She just had that thing about her. So Lisa, in your research, what do we know about Ryan? Well, Ryan fell head over heels with Jasmine and Jasmine found him handsome, charismatic and sexy. He was everything she wanted in a guy. Ryan was Jasmine's second marriage. She married when she was younger and that marriage fell apart when her husband landed in jail. Now, Ryan was from Canada, but he resided in both Vegas and LA. And he was described on the reality show, Megan Wants a Millionaire, as an architect, a property developer, and an investment banker. Now, Megan Wants a Millionaire, the reality show, was a spinoff of the popular Rock of Love with Brett Michaels. You know, everybody's vying to uh, get with Brett Michaels. So Megan was this blonde bombshell who the producers loved and Brett dumped in a previous season. So they gave her her own show. Megan and Ryan kind of hit it off to such an extent that Ryan was super confident that he would be chosen as Megan's love interest and even flew his dad out for the show. I mean, he was confident he had Megan in the bag. So in real life, their little tete-a-tete went on unbeknownst to the producers, but the producers did not want them to choose Ryan because they didn't find him as charismatic as the guy they wanted her to pick. So she had to pick someone else. Ryan came in third. And in fact, Megan even contacted Ryan after the show was done but by then, he was married to Jasmine. The Flavor of Love, Rock of Love shows on VH1 were so popular for a moment in time that I think everyone remembers characters from them. And Megan definitely stood out. Like, I remember her. She held the puppy. She had the big boobs, the big blonde hair. And so it's no surprise she got her own spinoff where she was trying to find millionaires. It always amazes me how people think they're going to come on a reality show and find, find love in five minutes. However... According to all of the, the information we know about Ryan, he really did find love in two days and married her in Vegas. That just seems a little fast, you know, but if it goes with his being on TV, looking for, for love on TV, I guess it's not so shocking. He would think he could find it in real life after two days. And if you did a side-by-side -side of Jasmine and Megan, they look very similar. They both have similar body types, similar faces, similar hairstyles, and so he clearly has a type. Maybe his confidence got a little tested and he decided to step out there in a big way. Jasmine, you know, was really driven her whole life, as we know, and so she probably was attracted to Ryan's confidence and his success, too. You know, he's a very financially successful man who has had an air about him apparently. So that probably drew her to him in a big way. 
Yeah, I'm sure. Always. And he's handsome. He's a good looking guy. I mean, he was just on television and they make a cute couple. Ryan wanted celebrity. This guy found reality shows as a kind of entrance point into show business. And I think he was that guy that liked being the center of attention, leading the life, getting pointed at, getting pointed out. And when he saw Jasmine, Jasmine was a head turner. I mean, she was super attractive. And I think he liked pairing up with somebody who would also sort of match that thing in him that he craved, which was, look at me, look at me. I think you're 100% right. I do think somebody goes on reality television to find love after only a few days because they're thirsty for fame and notoriety. And, you know, he gets to flaunt his things and what he has and his $2.5 million in the bank and his good looks. And, you know, I think you're totally right. He was attracted to what he was himself, a good looking, attention seeking young guy. According to Jasmine's mother, the couple fought constantly due to Ryan's jealousy. He didn't like Jasmine's male friendships, including some of her exes. And by June of 2009, only three months into their marriage, Ryan hit Jasmine on the arm and pushed her into a pool in a jealous rage. This was all witnessed by Travis Heinrich, Jasmine's ex-fiance. Ryan was arrested and had a court date set for December. In the middle of this chaos, Ryan headed off to shoot another reality show, I Love Money 3. On the show, he won the $250,000 prize. Even though he was not supposed to talk about his win because the show had not aired, he confided in Jasmine. By August, the pair smoothed over their differences and attended a celebrity poker tournament together. On August 13, 2009, the newly brunette Jasmine and her husband Ryan checked into an upscale hotel in San Diego. Here's Jeff. Yeah, Jasmine's ex-fiance, this guy Travis, who she maintained a good friendship with after the breakup, later told the press that Ryan was extremely jealous. He would go through Jasmine's phone at night, even, at some points. Travis also said that Jasmine once confided to him that she and Ryan were done and she was in over her head in the relationship, but that she didn't know how to get out. That probably was a really horrible feeling. Yeah, on the outside, everything kind of looked great, right? It's all the optics of it. But there was a rumor starting to circulate that things beneath weren't so great. Friends of the couple said there was a deal made so that Ryan's visa could be extended. Remember, he was from Canada. So that if he married Jasmine, he could stay in the country. The rumor also stated that he promised to give Jasmine a $10,000 a month stipend, if you would, if she wed him. But he never paid it, and she was quite upset about that. Jasmine was also paying for more than her share of expenses, and it seemed that his money was always kind of tied up and that he wasn't flipping the bill. He wasn't paying for the dinners. He wasn't really flaunting the money that he said on television he had. It's interesting because around this time, Ryan went on the show I Love Money 3, and the executive producer for the show, this guy Mark Cronin, described his behavior while they were in production as kind of weird. Apparently during filming, he kept telling Jasmine over the phone that he was going to win the whole show and that he was gonna give her the life he always promised with this money. And then he would flip-flop from the excitement of that to this kind of jealousy, asking her where, he, where she was last night what she was doing. He wanted to know her whereabouts when he was in Mexico shooting the show. Well, the folks on the reality show noticed all of this. And if there's something going on, they want to use it in the show. And so they started incorporating this storyline of his jealousy 
right onto the show. And it became about Ryan's obsession with Jasmine. You know, I don't think people understand when you go on a reality show, you're 100 percent 24 hours a day being recorded. Your audio is being recorded. There's cameras everywhere and there's no privacy. There's everything you say, everything that comes out of your mouth. It's constantly being recorded. So the fact that Mark was going to turn this into a storyline doesn't surprise me. I bet, though, it would surprise Ryan to find that out because little does he know that they can hear everything the whole time and that he is going to become a center figure of the show. And I was going to say just the opposite, that Ryan knew exactly what he was doing because you get more screen time and everybody would watch him because reality shows love when you cry, when you get mad. It's the car accident you can't look away from. And so if something's actually happening in their midst, I bet you he was amping it up a little bit to kind of give the production company a bit more. Because remember, he actually he won the show. It's actually a very good point. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Aggression is never a good thing, especially when you got married after knowing somebody for two days. That right there is a red flag. Getting married after two days is a red flag. And then jealousy, asking where you are every minute of the day, that's another red flag. It doesn't seem like it's the honeymoon that they were hoping it would be. Right. She's in over her head. She feels a little trapped with this guy, which is never a good feeling, especially that early in a relationship. I just think that maybe she got swept away in his confidence and his excitement. I think they were in lust. Well, also, you know, she wanted to be in entertainment, as we know. And Ryan was just coming off of one of these shows, which at the time were extremely popular. And so he probably seemed like a good catch because he was her way into the world of Hollywood. On August 15th, 2009, a man discovered a gray suitcase in an apartment complex dumpster in Buena Park, California, about 30 miles south of Los Angeles. The man contacted the apartment manager, and the manager found what appeared to be a female child's body stuffed into a suitcase. The body was nude and lying in a fetal position. The woman was actually in her late 20s with dark hair, and the body was not fully decomposed, and the fingertips had been cut off at the joint. The teeth were missing, and the face was swollen from a beating. The Orange County coroner said that she had been strangled to death. Now, the police had to figure out how to identify the woman. 
On this very same day, August 15, 2009, Ryan reported his wife Jasmine missing. Here's Lisa. So Ryan filed a missing persons report and told police Jasmine left the house to get a manicure and run errands and that he hadn't heard from her. He also said she does this all the time. And he added that they had been to San Diego but came back to L.A. He also told police he was on his way to Canada to fix an issue with the visa. The whole thing didn't make any sense. And the responding officer said that Ryan didn't seem all that concerned over his missing wife. And why was he leaving town? That's a good question, Lisa. And while all that is happening, back in Buena Park, officials are trying to identify this body that they found. They don't have fingerprints because remember the fingers have been cut off and they don't have dental records because the teeth have been pulled out. So they're trying to figure out how are they going to identify this woman? And what they figure out is that she actually had breast implants and all implants have serial numbers. So what they're able to do is pull the implants out and actually look up the serial number on the silicon implant. And the police contact the manufacturer who gave them the surgeon info which then led to identify the body. This all happened over the course of three days. And by August 18th, three days after finding the body, the serial numbers on the breast implants were identified as Jasmine Fiore. Once they had that information though, the cops circled back to Ryan to tell him his wife was found dead, but he didn't answer his phone. And now they wanted to talk to him, but first they had to find him. They searched his apartment and discovered his car was gone. They looked at surveillance video and saw him loading a suitcase into his car and then driving away. Police also found out that he had storage unit in Vegas where he kept his boat. When they checked in on the storage unit, the boat was gone. Ryan also had a history of violence. Unfortunately, he had not only assaulted Jasmine, but he had also assaulted an ex-girlfriend in Calgary, Canada in January of 2007. And the victim did file a restraining order against him. He was convicted, but he only received 15 months probation. He was ordered for counseling for his anger management, his domestic abuse, and his sex addiction. So how do you have a conviction and end up on a reality show? I have worked on reality shows and the applications are not, they're dizzying. They look like Bibles of epic proportions. You have to fill out everything. Where did you live like 15 years ago? And who did you live with? So much detail, but I guess maybe things were a little different back then. They did hire a Canadian company. They outsourced it to do the security check on Ryan but obviously nothing came up. I believe that that case actually was a precedent setting matter. And that's why contestants right now have this Bible to fill out before they can appear on a reality TV show. That's fascinating. After they figure out Ryan's domestic violence background, the authorities are continuing to investigate a lot of different leads. With Ryan missing, the police decide to meet with some other potential suspects around San Diego and Las Vegas. One of the people they contacted was Jasmine's first husband, a man named Michael Cardosi, who was also in San Diego on the same night as Jasmine and Ryan. Could it be possible that a jealous ex actually murdered the young woman? Lisa, do you know what happened with the ex-husband? Well, I mean, they were friends and Jasmine had been to San Diego before that trip that the, where the two of them went down together. But Cardosi's an interesting guy. He had recently been released from jail, was drug trafficking, and he was on parole. And well, he violated his parole and he ended up back in jail. So the police located him pretty easily and they thought he was a person of interest. But when questioned, he broke down and he was a mess. He cared for Jasmine and he was quickly cleared because his GPS placed him at another location 
and his parole officer also vouched for him. Well, once that kind of went cold, police didn't stop searching, of course. They also met with Robert Hassman, Jasmine's wealthy ex, who lived in Las Vegas and dated her until the time she married Ryan. Police also discovered that Jasmine had been texting him from San Diego from a poker game saying that she wanted to get back together. She asked Robert to send his private jet and pick her up. When police questioned him, Robert was very upset and said he had a solid alibi and he was in Nevada the entire time when Jasmine was killed. So there's a lot now going on that doesn't really seem to make sense or have answers. It's interesting, Tim, that you talk about Jasmine asking her ex to pick her up from San Diego because in my research, I found that Jasmine and Ryan actually had a big public fight the night of the poker game. Remember, that's the last night she's seen alive. A witness said that Jasmine was playing poker and was being very rude to Ryan, putting him down, and he was getting very upset, which totally set the tone for the evening. After the poker game, the couple went to the Gaslight District in San Diego, which is an area in the town with a lot of bars and restaurants, and they went out to a nightclub, but they were seen on camera kind of fighting the entire night. We've covered a lot of cases with a lot of crazy twists and turns, but I have never heard in my life of a, an investigation that used an implant to identify a body. Like that is some crazy police work and really resourceful. When I first read that, I was like, boy, that coroner was clever to even think about that. Because remember, you know, you have a dead body there and they're dissecting it and she wasn't in the best of shape. And to even think about that, as, as a means to identify her. I thought that was very smart on their part. It's also striking to me that she was so mutilated. Like whoever did this to her really went to great lengths to try to make sure she couldn't be identified. I mean, to pull her teeth out and to cut off her fingers, like that is very gory. When they go after your face in any way, isn't that kind of mean like a big hate and a big crime of passion. There's like a, a big emotional, like visceral response when people's faces are, are shot at or damaged. Often when that happens, there's a personal hatred towards the person being murdered. It's like there's a vendetta and it tips it off for police that they should be looking at somebody who's close to the victim. But it was very clever detective work on the coroner's part. At this point, her husband is seemingly the last person to see her alive and is now missing. Like, I would imagine that the police were probably just really focused on him. He certainly seems like the most likely candidate for the crime. I'll tell you another curious thing. She left, uh, when she left the exes behind, they all liked her. Nobody had anything bad to say about her. And they were all pretty much a mess over her death. So she, she seems to have had good relationships with people, even the ones that, you know, loved her, she loved, you know, didn't work out for one reason or another, but there wasn't any bad blood there. So I, I find that interesting of note for her character too, because sometimes that's a very hard thing to do. Very good point. That's a great point, right? Because it speaks more to maybe Ryan as the problem in that relationship and not Jasmine. Michael Cardosi was in San Diego and the story was that she had met up with him before that card game. So meaning like a few days, she went back to LA then she and Ryan drove back to San Diego for the celebrity poker tournament. While she's sitting at the celebrity poker tournament, she's texting and she texts Robert Hasman and she says to him, she's not happy. Can you send your private jet to pick me up? 
So imagine yourself sitting there, right? You're with your new wife. You're not getting along right now. We've already talked to Michael Cardosi, who is not a great guy, just released from jail. He's in San Diego at the same time. Your wife is texting somebody else. You're Ryan, a narcissist, not getting all the attention that we know he loves and thrives on. So he's just stewing and stewing and kind of when you add alcohol to the mix because i'm sure they were drinking it's all coming to make up the perfect storm in my opinion well she sounds like she wasn't too happy with ryan the fact that they were arguing all night long and witnesses saw it i mean maybe she was baiting him maybe you know because she was just pissed and wanted to get out you know how some people do that they start an argument so that you'll just say leave and then you have this reason like well you should leave and i left but it does seem like we're dealing with people that are on this sort of higher emotional plane. And he was awfully possessive in a very uncomfortable way. Detectives retrace the couple's steps and examine their San Diego hotel room. At this point, it had been cleaned, but on the back patio, police found a blood stain and a long black hair. Normally a blonde, Jasmine had dark hair at the time of her death. And DNA confirmed the hair belonged to Jasmine. Authorities also reviewed surveillance video from both the Hilton Hotel where the poker game was held and the hotel where the couple were staying. Here's Tim. Closed caption footage from Ryan and Jasmine's hotel shows their initial arrival together with a gray suitcase on the luggage rack. The same gray suitcase that would later, we would, police would find her body in. When the couple left the Hilton, they headed to the nightclub at the Ivy Hotel for more drinks. But that was not captured on surveillance. It was just witnesses actually saw them there. By 4.30 a.m., their surveillance video at La Burge shows Ryan running into his hotel room alone. And then, again, leaving the room for ice just to return to the room. Always without Jasmine. So if the timestamps on the closed-circuit television showed a timestamp of 2.30 when we first see Ryan... And 4.30, the last time we see Ryan, my question has to be, what happened to Jasmine during that time? Could that be the time he was in the room killing her? Well, what we know is that at 6.24 a.m., Ryan is seen exiting the room with a handful of clothing and toiletries and then returns empty-handed. 30 minutes later, he then leaves the room again for a few hours, and by 9 a.m., he's back wearing different clothes, and he enters and leaves the room for the last time. He ends up checking out at 9 a.m., with no luggage and drives home alone. It makes me wonder that, you know, when he's leaving the room, you know, with his, all his possessions, like in his hands, all the toiletries and clothes, is he not using his suitcase because he needs that suitcase to put a body in? We know he had the gray suitcase earlier. Where is that suitcase now? Why would he not be using it? It seems very suspicious. They had video of the two of them with the suitcase going into the hotel upon check-in. And then now we only have Ryan and a suitcase walking out. Remember, the room has a back patio, which means that there are two entrances to the hotel room. But Lisa, do we know what happened next? You know, the police really want to find Ryan. They have not been able to question him since they identified Jasmine. And so it's August 18th now, and it's three days now after discovering the body. And at this point, the story hit the media. I mean, after all, he was on TV, she was this beautiful model, and it not only hit the, the media here in the US, but also in Canada, because now there's an international manhunt for this guy. Where is he? Even after talking to all the witnesses and interviewing friends and family, 
the only person that they keep circling back to is Ryan. He is the person of interest in this case. It's not surprising. I mean, his actions seem highly suspicious. The getting back to the hotel without her, leaving without her, all the back and forth with the without the bags, like everything he's doing seems very suspicious. It's super suspicious. But, you know, the hard thing to understand here is for a man who's drawn to the spotlight and likes attention and is always everywhere and he's kind of omnipresent, now we can't find him at all. Like he's just disappeared. No one knows where he is. Everybody knows where he always is. He's on television. He's in the spotlight. He's he's flashing his stuff. And now all of a sudden, radio silence. This still begs the question, why? Why he was madly in love with this woman? Why why would he do it? I mean, and even if they were a marriage of convenience, right? And he's seeking a visa, well, he just killed his meal ticket. So why would you do that? You know? I mean, and it did seem like no, remember her ex-husband. Her ex-husband served some jail time. Not to say anything bad about Jasmine, but maybe she kind of had a little bit of a liking for the bad boys. And was there another bad boy in the picture that the police aren't looking into? Was it really Ryan? I mean, that's the question right here. Let's stop here for another break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. On August 19, 2009, Ryan called his father from Birch Bay, Washington, the northernmost point of Washington state. His father, Dan Jenkins, was the one who told him that Jasmine had been murdered. According to his father, Ryan broke down and wept. Dan claimed that Ryan was in shock and that he panicked and fled, thinking he might be a suspect. In fact, Ryan was a suspect the only suspect. Here is an excerpt from a press conference held by the Buena Park Police Chief Tom Monson on August 20th, 2009. I can now announce that as of this afternoon, we now have a warrant for the arrest of Ryan Alexander Jenkins for the murder of Jasmine. Last night, officers from the Blaine Police Department in the state of Washington recovered one of the vehicles that we had previously announced. That vehicle is the black 2003 BMW X5. The white 2007 Mercedes-Benz CLS 550 with paper plates is still outstanding and we continue to ask the public's support in uh, 
assistance in locating that vehicle. At this time, it is our belief that the suspect has crossed the border into Canada, and we are currently working with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in our attempts to locate him. So it's clear that the public is turning on Ryan at this point. He's a very wanted man. At the very least, police need to question him about, you know, Jasmine's last known whereabouts, because if he didn't do it, he might know who did. Well, it's interesting because the tables have turned so quickly on him from using television for his satisfaction and for everybody to love and adore him and him to be flashy and seen as this really cool guy. Now, all of a sudden, he's one of the FBI's most wanted. And, you know, they're talking about his his cars that he's driving and they're looking for him. This this made big news. All the entertainment news franchises just went berserk over this story. And I think they had everybody looking for him. They interviewed people that were on the show and said he was a great a couple of a couple of the guys um, who were with him on one of the reality shows said he was a great guy. They really liked him and thought, he, you know, they couldn't imagine that he would have done something to Jasmine. He was a charming guy and he seemed like somebody who you'd want to hang out with, but it seems to have been a performance for television. A man matching Ryan's description was seen piloting a boat in the border town of Point Roberts, Washington, where Ryan's stepmom lived. And this was a peninsula in Washington only accessible by boat. From there, he was able to walk across the border right back into Canada. So could it be at this point he really is out of the United States and authorities need to be looking in Canada? Well, the, the Canadian authorities were all over it, and they were getting a lot of tips, too. Ryan was close to his dad, and the cops knew it. And they detained Dan at the Vancouver airport because they suspected that uh, his dad might have been meeting up with him and maybe planning to help him. And the family did own a private plane. They were a wealthy family, and they owned a place in Honduras. Now, not to say that the dad was going to take him on a private plane and fly him down to Honduras, but that does give reason for the cops to detain him until they find out where Ryan is. Um, meanwhile, a man matching Ryan's description arrived at the Thunderbird Hotel in Hope, British Columbia in a silver PT cruiser, and it was driven by a young blonde. Now, the woman hopped out of the car, she booked a room, she stayed for 20 minutes, and then she left. The hotel manager ended up seeing a man who he thought was Ryan walking around outside the hotel, and he remembers thinking that this guy looked really exhausted. On the third day of his stay, which was August 23rd, 2009, the man didn't check out, so the manager and his nephew knocked on the door and no one answered. They used their spare key to enter the room, and to their horror, they found the guest dressed in a t-shirt and jeans hanging from a clothes rack with a belt around his neck. He had committed suicide. They obviously called the police right away, and when they came, they were able to positively identify the man in the hotel room who had committed suicide as Ryan Jenkins. Does anyone know about this mystery blonde woman who drove him to the hotel? It was a mystery at first, Jeff, but after police investigated it, they discovered that it was his 19-year-old half-sister, Alina Jenkins, who actually drove him to the motel and booked the room for him. But authorities never actually charged her for aiding and abetting. It's always sad when these stories end in suicide. It definitely feels like justice isn't properly served. And, you know, obviously the bad guy is not with us anymore, but, you know, he, we don't ever know what happened to Jasmine, what led up to her death. Plus there's never closure for the family. And for him to do what he did, and she had a single mom, and she was kind of left without any answers. It was a real tragedy. 
it's a tale to say just be careful who you get involved with and you know take the time to actually get to know somebody Ryan Jenkins left behind a suicide note entitled Will and Testament. It was typed on his computer and he simply wrote, quote, Jasmine was the love of my life. He added that he was upset that she was cheating on him. He never admitted to murdering Jasmine. However, he did apologize to his own family for his, quote, actions. Two days after he was found dead, VH1 canceled Megan Wants a Millionaire and I Love Money 3, which had yet to premiere. In a final disturbing detail, Jasmine's white Mercedes was finally found in a parking lot in West Hollywood about a mile from the penthouse she shared with Ryan. The carpet, the door panel, and the back seat were soaked in blood. Jasmine went down with a fight. Shameless plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. And listen to season three of our hit series, The Piketon Massacre. New episodes air every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stay safe, lovers. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.